I will let you know before we start that there will be the strike of a cowbell during our introduction. Just in case anybody has triggers, I'm going to start letting people know that we will strike the cowbell. Oh, that's a good idea. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if we have any cows on the podcast, too, we'll... <laughs> no cows were harmed during the taping of this <laughs> broadcast. That's right. Don't ask us why we have a cowbell. We just do. <laughs> we, needed, we needed a gimmick for our podcast. And cowbells were on sale. <laughs> Recording in progress. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Uh, hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Oh, he's going to keep her on mic four. Look at that. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and listen... Our favorite, our favorite Mike is back. It's Miss Liz Malone. Oh, Mike Four, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be my new handle, my new, my new call sign. <laughs> so if I had hosting, if I had hosting uh, permission, uh, I would rename you, but. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for Mike Four. I believe uh, Brian May from Queen was was infamously Mike Four in all the uh, on the Queen records. So you're in good company. Keep oh. digging, Rob. Keep digging. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen. Hey, it's uh, we do need to talk to uh, Miss Miss Malone for a minute because uh, it's her first time back in I don't even know how many weeks so uh welcome back to the uh, circus thank you I'm healthy as a horse if a Water. horse if a, is that is that, is that well, well I don't I understand why saying, people say that I would what? not if any horse that got sick as well as much as you I know uh, yeah I was trying to say that I'm like I don't know is that an insult to me or insult to the horse but I think it's yeah I think it's an insult I, to yeah, the horse I so what I, happened this time oh I had I came down with some bronchitis pneumonia Holy! As a post-COVID giveaway parting gift. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. scary. Yeah, huh. that's that stunk. So bronchitis. So that's a lot, a lot of coughing. Oh, let's just say there was all kinds of good stuff coming, go uh, coming and going. So yes. yeah. Wow, yeah. that's brutal. Yeah. yeah. So would that knock you down for like a couple of weeks or what? It was like uh, two weeks for sure. Wow. And then a nice uh, healthy course of wonderful american antibiotics well listen can't go wrong no i'm a fan i was definitely a fan <laughs> so you still well, could have did the show then is that what you're saying <laughs> oh, God. Never, man, i would hate to work for ryan i really would i just i would feel for anybody who is important ryan. <laughs> i'm sorry I'm no, isn't he the isn't he the worst sometimes? I swear. I know. That Mike <laughs> Two guy, what a guy. Yeah, man. Right. man. <laughs> that Mike Two has gone right to his head. <laughs> no, listen, before we do get into the body of the show, though, too, I do want to mention that it's good that you are back because we have a little bit of a surprise for you after uh, at the end of the show. Yay. Yeah. So. Do I get a hint now? little something nope stay tuned no okay yeah no no hint for you gotta stay to the end okay <laughs> yeah that's right no right. no bailing and going and watching hockey halfway through like <laughs> some of those other episodes it's on tonight so <laughs> my devils are playing so <laughs> yeah exactly so we had to we had to bait you with something to keep you uh, focused for the rest of the show all right so i, I all right so what i'll stay I'll stay. All right. Good, good. Well, that's good because we do have a great show. Uh, and without further ado, I'm going to ask Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Uh, what the heck are we doing today? 
Today we are speaking with the CEO from the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion, Anne-Marie Pham. Welcome, Anne-Marie. Thanks, Ryan, and thanks everyone for inviting me. Thanks for putting up with our silliness. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Anne-Marie gets to be Mike Mike 3, so... (laughs) That's right. Oh, I'm not the last mic. <laughs> I'm always I'm always in the cellar, so you're good. <laughs> well, I'm well, pleased and honored to be mic three today. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, we, we're happy to have you. Maybe you can give us uh, a little bit of background of yourself and a little bit of background um, about the organization. Yeah, you bet. Uh, I would be happy to do that. So I am Anne-Marie Pham. Uh, I was actually born Phuong Ang Pham, which is a Vietnamese name. So, hint, hint, I was born in Vietnam. And then when I was three years old, a family moved to France, where my dad had a job there uh, with the Vietnamese embassy in Paris. And it was supposed to be for five years, so the whole family went over. But then the fall of Saigon took place on April 30th, 1975, a family ended up in France and we stayed there because obviously we were not with the previous government. So we stayed in France for 12 years. Like many immigrants, my parents had a restaurant and we ran the restaurant for about 10 years. Then when I was 15 years old, uh, we moved to Canada. So Canada is really my third country on my third continent and English is my third language. And so that's me. Uh, I'm very passionate about uh, ensuring that people of all backgrounds, different lived experiences, different identities feel like they belong in Canada. Um, And that has been my journey here, you know, trying to fit in, trying to have that sense of belonging from the age of 15. And uh, I've seen it in my community, I've seen it in my family, I've seen it among friends, I've seen it amongst colleagues and amongst members of the community. And that's where my passion comes from. So today, I am the CEO of CCDI, which stands for the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. And we are a national charity that was established actually 10 years ago. So 2023 is our 10th year anniversary with basically the, the the vision of building a more inclusive Canada for everyone. Um, and we do this by offering learning, research, knowledge solutions, and just some good advice, hopefully, to many workplaces, schools, and communities um, that we work with. We've been doing the podcast for about, uh, what is it, Ryan, seven years, going yep. into our eighth year. Um, so, you know, we've sort of had a, a sort of a ringside seat at the conversation around diversity and inclusion for a while now. And it's really something that, at least from our vantage point, that's, that's really grown um, and really gained some traction, mainly in probably in the past five years. Mm-hmm. Being, a, being a 10-year-old um, organization, how have you seen it? Have you really seen things pick up in the last few years? Um, what's sort of the, the, the climate of ar- around diversity and inclusion? Um, recently? Yeah, it, it's a good observation, Rob, because actually, you know, we've been around for 10 years and I would agree with you that, uh, you know, the first six years or so, we've seen the growth of the, of the organization based on demand and the growth were pretty steady. You know, it was pretty organic and more and more organizations were trying to really learn about diversity and inclusion. They were starting by maybe training their leaders or doing a learning session or building, you know, diversity and inclusion plans for their organization. But it was really... Um, a a relatively slow and organic growth, I would say. And then um, comes the murder of George Floyd, right? Which happened a couple of months after the COVID-19 lockdown, after the pandemic started. And those two things coming together really created the kind of environment where people were starting to really reflect and think about, you know what? Life is precious. Um, A health um, is not to be taken for granted with this COVID pandemic. Uh, 
Um, and many people were unemployed or had, you know, changed uh, working or family situations because of the lockdown. And a lot of people started to reflect and think about, you know, what kind of life do I want to have? What are my values? What's important to me, right? Assuming that we don't always have a secure and safe and healthy life for the rest of what we were expecting life to be. So come May 2020 and Joshua gets murdered. I'm sure you've all seen, you know, the huge impact it had on the media. Everybody was talking about it. Not only were we seeing marches down the streets of America, but it happened in Canada. It happens in many countries in Europe and other parts of the world. It was sort of this international social awakening, you know, where people were saying, enough is enough. How long do we need to wait and be patient for the system to be fixed, right? So racism, especially towards Black people, really came to the forefront. It was a huge thing. And then shortly after, you know, you saw the rise of anti-Asian sentiment and a huge exponential increase of anti-Asian hate across the world, including in Canada. Because of course, some people wrongfully thought, you know, that um, the virus was, you know, the China virus and people from China and Chinese people, you know, are to blame for this. Right, right. It reminds me of like what happened in the Second World War when, you know, uh, Japanese Canadians were incarcerated, right, right. Um, in Canada. So those are some of the issues that are happening. And then shortly after that, you see the confirmation of Indigenous graves in Canada. So there are several big, big events that took place. And it's sort of like compounded into, okay, what's going on now? And what do we need to do to make this country, this world better? And so because of this series of events, CCDI saw a huge demand, like an increase in demand uh, from workplaces who have been starting to call us more and saying, you know what, how can I address this? I, I feel that my clients, that my employees, that you know, my leaders are really being affected by all of these things. And I think as an organization, we need to do better when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Yeah, it's it's very interesting um, because, and I hadn't really thought of it like that because I hadn't really put all those three events together like that. But you're absolutely right. There, it was like these these moments that that happened sort of one after the other that really I think opened up a, a lot more conversation around this, um, just in general, both in the media and I think um, certainly on an organization. Uh, and, a, and a business level as well. You know, we, we're sort of coming at this through a slightly different lens. You know, we, we are, are big, you know, big advocates for, for accessibility and the disability community in all of this. Mm -hmm. And it really is tied together because diversity and inclusion are very much words that, that we use all the time too in order to talk about the disability community. And in ways the disability community is sort of lagging behind. You know, we've been talking about how th that that community really needs its moment, <laughs> unfortunately, as well to really yeah. to really drive home um, some of the conversation around um, a lot of the barriers that are still in place um, around accessibility yes. and around the disability community. Um, but it is, I feel like, all of this is really tied together through these ideas of diversity and inclusion. So maybe I would, I, I would, I'd be really interested to sort of hear your take on those specific words as well and how you guys sort of define them when you're presenting them to different organizations, because I do feel like those can be confusing to some people. Uh, mm -hmm. as well especially that you know people in the mainstream who haven't really spent a lot of time they're they're not advocates how do you guys sort of frame 
the idea of diversity to somebody that that sort of isn't familiar with it right well you know what you're right and there's some confusion out there about the terms and what they really mean and you know you'll talk to different people and they may have different definitions so for us I'll, i'll tell you what it means for ccdi when we talk about diversity it's all the ways in which we differ right so it's your diversity of um life experiences it's your diversity of perspectives. Um, it's visible diversity dimensions. It could be your, you know, uh, race, ethnicity, how tall you are, how old or young you look, whether you have a physical disability or not. Um, you know, uh, any symbols of faith that you might be worrying about you. So diversity is a fact. Right. And you're going to have diversity as soon as you've got two people in the room. Because many dimensions of diversity are invisible. Many are also visible. Even twins, two people who are born with the same genetic markers, they will be different from one another because they may have different life experiences and they may have different perspectives. So diversity is a fact. But inclusion is a choice Hmm. and inclusion is that mindful, conscious, intentional effort that we want to put into an organization or at a team meeting or an event uh, or in the review of our policies and practices so that we ensure that everyone is included. Um, so that we make the mix work and the mix is the diversity, right? So in the mix of people, the mix of experiences, the mix of educational background, the mix of great ideas. By, by creating an inclusive environment, what essentially you're doing is you're creating an ecosystem where people are free to be who they are. They can bring their whole self to work You know, they can bring the humor, like the humor that I'm seeing in this podcast. They can bring different ideas. They can be innovative. Uh, But they also feel like the place is safe enough for them to have the courage to say, hey, this workplace is okay, but it needs some work. You know, maybe it's not accessible for them. Maybe it hasn't accommodated some of their needs. Maybe they have, you know, a different thinking style or the way that they are communicating might be different. Maybe they're more indirect in the communication styles versus direct. Uh, maybe they're more introverted versus extroverted. And we know that workplaces really encourage and sort of gives more credit typically to people who are extroverted. So an inclusive work environment is one in which we really try hard, like we're intentional and conscious about checking in with all of our colleagues and all of our clients and making sure that we understand what they need in order to succeed, in order to be happy and productive in the workplace. So that's the difference. Diversity is a fact. Inclusion is a choice. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I'm sort of tying this together in my head. It's and it's a little bit of a weird example, but a few weeks ago we had a, a fella on that was part of a dance group that was called All, All Bodies Dance, and the idea behind it was, um, it, it was a dance troupe that was that they they termed mixed abilities, and what that meant basically was that. It, you know, they welcomed anybody into the, the program, regardless of whether they had a disability or they didn't have a disability or if they were, you know, 15 or they were 80. And it really didn't matter. And what they did is, is they really sort of leaned into the differences between everybody's movement. And they made something a, sort of a bit of a, a like a dance tapestry out of everybody's uniqueness. And th- I'm kind of like tying that together in terms of it's that's that's sort of true inclusion. That's including everybody and celebrating the differences rather than bringing people on and just being like, okay, well, the, you know, the, these people need, need need this type of accessibility 
or this this type of adaptation in order to bring them to every to everybody else's level it's more about just including everybody and celebrating those differences if i'm understanding this correctly yeah absolutely and that's a great example that you shared just now i love it um in fact we even a website is we see diversity as an asset as something beautiful to be celebrated and not as a risk or a liability. If people really knew how to leverage all the ways in which we differ and see our various abilities, people will see that we can all bring something to an organization or to a team, right? And that could be beautiful. So um, I remember I worked for a previous organization and one of our colleagues uh, was blind. And she was the only blind person on that particular team. And, you know, I was, you know, um, managing diversity at the time. So, of course, I touched base with her and I'm like, how are you doing? And are things working out for you? And she she started before I started. So she was more, you know, uh, into the system than I was. And I was really pleasantly surprised to hear from her and said, you know what, I've had a really good experience. Um, when I started, my manager asked me, what is it that, you know, I needed to do in order to make sure that your work experience would be great? Uh, because obviously she was very qualified, right? But like many people, uh, you know, with uh, disabilities, um, she wasn't always employed in in the, the jobs that she deserved. So they set it up in such a way that, you know, she, she got the right assistive technology. They put some things in place so that when there's a team meeting, you know, she's got a buddy to support her to access, you know, the files that she needed. Um, you know, if people wanted to go into her office, there was a way in which they can knock on the door, introduce themselves so that, you know, she wouldn't be surprised, um, you know, um, caught off guard when this person was coming in. So there's things that you can do. And certainly, you know, for those people who don't have that experience, it may feel unusual. And for others, honestly, uncomfortable as well. But we need to push the needle, right? We need to help people to learn to be a little bit uncomfortable with things that they're not used to and then get past that, right? Like, like adapt. We're adapting all the time. We adapt our language when we talk to little children versus when we talk to a professional colleague. Mm. So we, we can adapt, but do we want to adapt or not? And the adaptation has to be in everyone. And once we, when we have that mindset, we see people as being of, of value, you know, a, a great benefit to the organization. Adaptability is gonna come more naturally. And once we're able to adapt, then we will fully, you know, leverage, you know, the all the skill sets and the diverse ideas and talents and, and the dancing, like in your example, of the people that we have in the room. So, the challenge in our workplaces, of course, is that it doesn't happen automatically. And humans, by nature, sadly, like the status quo. They like things that don't change. They like to feel safe and secure. That's a little bit of our reptilian brain <laughs> uh, coming to the forefront. But as society evolves, you know, as our needs evolve, as our language evolves, our values evolve too. And workplaces are going to fall behind if they are not adapting with times, if they are not more diverse and inclusive and accessible for all the kinds of people who are looking for meaningful and productive work experiences. Well, Emery, you mentioned how you engaged with the particular uh, team member who was blind and engaged with them and, and um, really wanted to become invested with what their experience was, I think you. I think you said it was a she, and and how yes she was managing and and getting all the um the right tools and support to be really successful and to prove that with all the right um uh, access that persons with disabilities can be very successful, even exceptional, um in many work roles. So in in engaging with 
an organization and you are dealing with those who maybe are not the ones who are necessarily needing the adaptations, but are sort of the ones that have to conform. What are the sort of the strategies that you've had to um, apply to kind of help crack through that hard veneer um, mm-hmm. to make people more more accepting of, of, you know, of that change that people are so uncomfortable with? Yeah, yeah. So to move from the uncomfortable to the comfortable, honestly requires some courageous conversations. So we've got to be courageous and start the conversations ourselves if we really want to be, you know, those active allies, right? Those co-conspirators in the, in the workplace mm-hmm. that are trying to create the change that we wish to see in the world. So we've got to start somewhere. Sometimes it's, if we can't change a policy just yet, maybe we change it within our own sphere of influence within a small team and whatnot. So usually that's what I do. I try to like get a sense of a pulse of the organization, what's working, what's not working. What are people's, um, you know, mental blocks that get in the way and then hit at it, right? Like address it right there. So there's no one single answer to your question, Liz, but I will say, um, that you know the vision that you want. You want a place that is fully accessible. You want a place that is fully inclusive where everyone can be their authentic self and not, you know, there's no microaggressions. People are not making wrong assumptions about your abilities and your qualities just because of an aspect of your dimension of diversity. All of those for sure is the vision. A lot of people don't know the vision. So the first thing we want to do is make sure that as leader of a workplace or as a colleague that we're clear and can articulate the vision and we can give some really good example of why it's so important for all of us to create that environment, right? And there's so much research out there. I mean, you can Google the benefits of diversity and inclusion in the workplace and you'll come up with like dozens of benefits and that have been researched economic drivers, social imperatives, people inclusion, higher retention, promotion, greater sustainability of the workplace, because you're going to be adapting and evolving your products and service offerings all the time if you listen to your diverse workforce and the great ideas that come from them. So you've got to to articulate the vision. You've got to understand that it's not just the right thing to do, but it's the right thing to do for your business and use the right words that your business people understand, okay? The second thing that has worked really well is you provide examples and analogies and things that are really simple and that people can relate to, right? So one of the examples I share with you is One of my aha moments years ago when I started getting into the field of diversity and inclusion is truly understanding accommodation. This term accommodation sometimes is not such a positive term, right? People may think of it as, oh, I'm just accommodating them, right? Quote, unquote, which means I got to change the ways that I do things just for them. I have to do this. And while it is a legal responsibility to accommodate people based on their disabilities, um, somebody taught me a long time ago that we have to flip that narrative and think about the fact that workplaces have been accommodating us forever. Those who are physically, you know, abled, for example, right? You think about it. Our desks were designed in the right height for us so that we can sit and a laptop and a screen are a perfect eye level for us. The lights above our head was designed with the right light density so that we can read our books and use our screens. The audio sound is set up for us so that we can hear properly. We've been accommodated forever. So why can't we do that for everyone else? Okay, so it's about flipping the narrative in such a way that they will understand, you know, um, all of the privileges and all of the benefits that able-bodied people have had 
since time immemorial in the workplace. So hopefully that helps. Um, but those are really, you know, like concrete ideas and examples that you can use in the workplace to really uh, meet people where they're at so that they can really understand uh, what it means to be inclusive in the workplace. Yeah, it's funny when you when you put it that way, Anne Marie, because you know I grew up sighted. Rob has sight, and I'm totally blind now. Liz is blind, and you know you take a lot of those. Well, you you take everything for granted. You don't even think about the desk height, the color of the light, you know, the audio frequency coming from whatever your speakers, your laptop. You don't think about any of those things, and they are accommodations. They truly are. And the workplace has spent how much, you know, how many tens and thousands of dollars to accommodate 90% of the workforce, right? Assuming like say 90% are able-bodied. Yeah. So, right. And so if you're asking for, let's say, you know, 10% of the budget to actually rightfully accommodate folks in the workplace, nobody should be pushing back on that if you understand the bigger narrative. Yeah, they're replacing light bulbs every six months. Why can't they buy a screen reader for what? somebody who's blind? <laughs> exactly. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. And once people see it that way, they're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. He's <laughs> like, yeah, of course it makes sense. And you know, I, you know, like I, I, um, I work with this one guy. He's like a VP of human resources for this huge company. And, um, and uh, he had twin daughters. They were born and had twin daughters. And then he saw them grow up and he saw how his wife was treated differently from him. You know, like she, she took maternity leave and suddenly she stopped having opportunities for advancement in the workplace because now her managers assumed that, you know, she won't be as committed to her job because she's a new mom. But the flip side of it is he got a promotion because now He's the provider and he's a responsible father of twins, right? Mm. So, so he realized as he saw his own experience relative to his wife's and as he saw his daughters grow up that, oh my goodness, you know, I got to make this world and my workplace better for women because I can see how difficult it would be for them, how they were seen as, you know, potential leaders in an organization if one day they want to become mother. And that's just one example of probably thousands of ex examples out there. Yeah. Folks just need to really understand and connect with people. So let's say if, if you don't know anybody who's blind, right, maybe you should get to know somebody who's blind and try to understand their life and their realities and then see how, you know, what if it was your, your, your own child? right? Do we have to get to that point? <laughs> but what can you do to make life better, to make the workplace more equitable for everyone? So anyway, so um, that was the wake-up call for him. And it, it was built over the years to the point where now he's truly, you know, one of those, um, he, he calls himself, you know, a straight, white, able-bodied male, you know, uh, but he's an ally, right? He's an ally, even though he's received all of the privileges um, um, uh, in, in, you know, in his circumstance, in his life circumstance. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, too, because I really feel like the workplace is so key with a lot of this and will have like huge impact downstream. Because if you think about it, you know, people spend a lot of their time every week at the workplace. And so, you know, having having a, a, working at a at a organization that engages in diversity and inclusion, and you are all of a sudden you're interacting with people of of you know with people with disabilities or people of other races, that is going to spill over into your day to day life. And now. Mm -hmm you're not freaked out when you see somebody on the street who is blind or you you know you you understand what that lived experience is is like at least you know certainly more so than you did before and so that's really a way to really slowly start to trickle these ideas into 
people's everyday thinking. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the more I, I've been doing this work, the more I, I reflect on what does it take for us to break down the barriers, right? To, to break down these stereotypes, which are just myths. And, you know, if they're not 100% true 100% of the time, they're not facts, they're myths, they're stereotypes. What will it take for us to get to the point where we're no longer assigning a particular attribute to someone just because of one aspect of their diversity, of who they are, right? right? Um, it takes exposure. That is my, <laughs> that is one of the key solutions uh, to this. And so you're right. We need to do a much better job of exposing our children, our youth, people in the workplace to people who are different than themselves so that they're less uncomfortable. Um, they, you know, we can ask questions of each other. We can see each other as humans, as individuals without those labels and the stereotypes. And we can see each other for our humanity, all of the things that we share in common and our differences. Um, and the more we do of this, the more we're going to break down the barriers. And that's why when you think about it, there's not that many stereotypes about white men, for example, right? Because you see them all around you, 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 you know, they, they, um, all kinds of characters are played in movies by white men. You can have the smart person, the lawyer, you know, the educator, the dancer, the singer, the, uh, you know, the administrative judge, right? Um, the murderer. The murderer, yes, the drug <laughs> addict, the cartel leader. So you have a huge variety of folks. And because of that, it's really hard for us to automatically you know, when we think about, when we see a white man to automatically jump into, ah, white men are X, Y, and Z. It's very hard for us to do that if we were raised in Canada. Well, if, you watch, if you watch the show Criminal Minds, you would learn that white men are more likely to be serial killers than anybody yes, else. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, I just want to put that out there, folks. <laughs> no, you're so true. And But there, was, there were a couple of other TV series and it's not Criminal Minds. And I'll tell you, Liz, I love Criminal Minds. I think I've watched the whole thing twice already. I absolutely love the show. But there are some shows in the past, now 10 to 20 years past, where most of the criminals were black men, mm -hmm. right? Not serial killers. Not serial killers. <laughs> Just killers. Just killers. <laughs> and, and criminals, and criminals. So the thing is, the more we get to know folks, from a variety of backgrounds, the less our brain is going to automatically default to this wiring that we've been socialized, that's been building up and been reinforced over years and years and years that X person is like this, Y person is like that. We need to stop doing that, right? Like I'm from the Asian community and there are a lot of stereotypes about Asian women, right? Sometimes when I make a comment, at a meeting, you know, somebody will come back to me later and say, wow, you know, you were pretty like verbal and vocal. Uh, wow. And they're like surprised. And they're like, wow, you had some really good ideas. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, I hope that that didn't come because dot, 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 you are Asian and you're not supposed to speak as much. <laughs> I hope that it didn't come from there. Um, but certainly there are some stereotypes about, you know, Asian people. Generally speaking, they're hard worker, they don't complain, they're good in math, they're bad drivers, right? And they don't have leadership potential because a lot of Asian people don't speak up. So that's kind of the stereotypes that I have to deal with. <laughs> and then for yourselves, you know, your aspects of, of, of diversity, I'm sure, um, has brought up some judgments from other people about you, right? So how can we find a way for people to see us, 
to believe in us, to trust us, to build relationship with us as we are and not jump to conclusions. Well, the tricky thing also, I just want to bring up, and and I and I say this as uh, as an Asian woman also, is that and a and a person with a disability, is that the exposure is obviously very very important, but the what happens during that exposure can also be very meaningful because you know, even if you say, okay, if you don't understand uh, what it's like to be blind, maybe spend some time with somebody who is blind. But I will tell you that that experience is still very different from blind person, blind person, and how we cope with that disability and how it impacts our uh, our way of life and even our attitude. So the I always, always want to caution people that there's no monolithic anything Mm-hmm. In race, gender, sexual orientation, ability, religion, da da da, and 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 you know it's with any with any group. Just because we may know one or we've spent time with one, that you know that is not necessarily representative of everybody. That there is still a wide spectrum within each of uh, each each diverse segment of the population. So true. So true. And uh, I actually did a session last week um, on, you know, showing up the way that, you know, the way we are in all the ways in which we differ. And we talked about the intersectionality of dimensions of diversity. So like, you know, for example, you, Liz, you know, you're a woman with a disability who happens to be Asian. So your experience is going to be very different from my experience, because I have two of those three dimensions, for example. Uh, But even your experience on those three dimensions could still be different from somebody else who has those three dimensions, but maybe, you know, uh, let's say, comes from a different social economic status, right? And so these are the compounding effects of intersectionality. And so oftentimes people go, well, you know, if people are so different from one another, well, how are we going to create an inclusive workplace? It becomes so complex and so complicated. Well, we have this very simple recommendation. It's a little bit simplistic, but I think it's actually very good and it's very applicable. Many of us were raised with the golden rule, right? And the golden rule, you can see this in every major religion of the world. And even if you're not religious, you were taught this probably by your parent or grandparents or elder in the community. And the golden rule is treat others the way that you wanna be treated. And fundamentally, it's a really great rule to have in your life, right? You wanna treat other people with respect, right? You want to treat others uh, with kindness, with thoughtfulness. Absolutely. The golden rule works really well if you and that other person comes from either the same community or you were raised with the same values or, you know, you you have shared backgrounds from a pretty homogeneous community. But the reality, of course, is that Many workplaces, many communities are not, like you say, a monolith. They're not, they're not homogeneous. They're very different. And our society is more and more complex every day. So we invite people to upgrade from the golden rule to the platinum rule. And the platinum rule says, treat others the way that they want to be treated. Don't assume that other people want to be treated the same way that you want to be treated, right? Because if you assume, then we'll never learn from the other side and we'll never be able to adapt. So upgrade from the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated to the platinum rule, treat others the way they want to be treated. And how do we do that? Very simple, ask. And like you said, Liz, 
don't assume, right? Don't assume that just because you've had that one experience with this one blind person that, and this is how it worked for them, that it's going to work the same for the next blind person that you're going to meet. Because most likely that may not work. So don't assume, just ask. And oh, you create should... the right environment to be able to ask, right? That's an environment that is safe, but that is productive, that allows you to ask good questions and doesn't put the onus you know, um, always, you know, the, the marginalized person, the minority of the group to educate the whole organization. I think the organization has to take responsibility for building learning and conversations to make it happen as well. Yeah, I love that, actually. And we, you know, I think we've had sort of similar conversations. I mean, we, you know, we've talked a lot on the podcast about the importance of education and educating and educating. <laughs> But yeah. and, and Ryan does get get frustrated when we talk about that because he's like, you know what? We're tired of trying to educate people. Just need a saying. bigger stick. Keep saying no. a bigger stick. But, but no, you're that right. Too. Think, yeah, that's true. He's tried. Um, but I, I think that I, I really love this idea of putting the onus on, you know, the mainstream, on the organizations, on the people out there that, yeah, it's time it's time to ask questions. It's time to take responsibility for your own lack of knowledge and get out there and, and do some learning. Well, they have to, because we, the disability community are tired. We're tired of pushing and pushing and pushing yeah. and trying mm -hmm. to, trying to make change. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because a lot of this change is, I, I think has the potential to be very organic. Um, I think that if, yeah, if we can, if we can really push this idea of diversity and inclusion and get organizations embracing it and starting to, to celebrate difference rather than making it something that they feel intimidated by or feeling like they're mandated to, to work towards, I, I think that that's, you, we're going to see a lot of, a lot of um, progress. And I think we need more. Happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, your approach, Anne-Marie, is probably way more successful than my big stick because... <laughs> See, know, yeah, she she's the carrot to your stick. She's yeah. like more carrot, you're like more stick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She's she's the, I'll bring the cupcakes and, and I'm the big <laughs> bat, right? So you got to... You know, I you just worked come with to the, the government of Canada and I'll tell you, uh, we, you know, did some work on education in the workplace on employment equity. And of course, if you know the employment equity legislation in Canada, there's four designated groups um, that have historically been underemployed, unemployed in the workplace. Um, and they are people with disabilities, indigenous people, <laughs> women, and visible minorities, i.e. racialized minorities. Mm -hmm. So it was really an in interesting experience going to different workplaces I worked with hundreds of them and really trying to understand where they were at. I mean, these public government departments and agencies had to comply to employment equity. So Ryan, that was the stick, yep. right? <laughs> That's right? And for many years, many, many years, this organization since the late 1980s is when the, 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 the legislation was in place. You know, they're like, oh, my God, I have to report on my representation of these four designated groups every year and I have to write a narrative report to the government of Canada to tell them what is the progress <laughs> when it comes to representation numbers. And of course, they had to have um, enough representations at all levels of their organization in a variety of roles and positions to make sure that their representation number reflected the market availability, right? So that's fair. I think that's very, very fair. What the government of Canada realized is that if you just give them the stick and the report on it every year, a lot of them will be in that compliance slash public relations mode, right? And if you look at the spectrum of inclusion, that's pretty low on the totem pole. So one, the, the, the lowest is denial, denial that there are any problems at all right. in the workplace. So you don't want to be there. But the next level is that level of compliance. I'm doing it because I've been told and I have to. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I would admit that for some organizations that worked for, uh, and, and they use that and they leverage that to really build great programs and to increase the representation and to work on the culture. But the vast majority of them did not see it that way. And they saw that as something that they had to do. So when our program came into place, it was to go into the workplace and educate and support and give advice to people on why they needed to do this work. And in fact, the first training workshop topic that we designed and put together was building the business case for diversity and inclusion, right? Because a lot of people did not even understand why they had to do this. They were just right. doing it because they were told to. Um, but of course, now we want every organization to go beyond building the business case. They, they just need to do it because it's the right thing to do. And the, and the organizations will really, really benefit from it. Um, and the people will be happier and all kinds of great benefits for it. But, you know, Liz, your point is important. We need the stick and we need the carrot. We need the combination of both to, to systematically move organization to the next level of inclusion. Ideally, we'd like them to be, let's say, in level five, but realistically, if you're at a two, we want you to go to the three. If you're at a three, we want you to move to the four. And it takes a lot of conversation, oftentimes starting with senior leadership and helping them to understand why does this matter for your organization, for your team, for your shareholders, for your clients, for corporate sustainability, for the environment, right? For so many aspects and really help them to look at the big picture and then say, okay, now that you understand why this matter for your organization, how are we gonna get there? And then really build a diversity and inclusion strategy for your organization. Typically they are three to five years Leaders have to assign resources to it, a budget and people, not just one token person, but a group of people who are dedicated to the work, build you know, networks of employees with you know, employee resource groups, different dimensions of diversity, who can come together, support each other in the workplace, but also a huge part of their, their group existence is leverage their expertise and their experience so that they can provide recommendation to the organization on the policy changes, the practices changes, the cultural changes, um, the training that's required and the kind of reporting and accountability that is required for that organization to actually do better and be better. And once you've got leadership, resources, and employees on the ground all working together, a lot of organizations I see have movement. They, they're making progress. And if you want the progress not to die off and disappear once your inclusive leaders and staff disappear, because of course there's always turnover in organizations, before you go, you gotta make sure that you embed um, those changes into your policies and your practices so that it becomes a part of the DNA of the organization, the operating system of the organization. And the next person who will join the organization will read the policy and say, ha they do have you know, a budget for accommodation. They do have training on you know, accessibility and inclusion and equity in the workplace. Uh, and uh, I'm valued and I'm supported. Right, so there is a, there is a, you know, a system, there are things that organizations can do, uh, but it is not a simple solution. Simple solutions tend to fail because they're not sustainable. And they don't, they don't have enough of the critical mass of the people in the organizations to keep it going. Um, so that's what we do, you know, at CCDI, we often work with organizations uh, to look at the big picture and to provide all kinds of training, materials, resources, and advice to hopefully, you know, um, uh, hopefully be that trusted advisor on their journey to become to becoming more inclusive and more accessible and equitable for all. I love it. So speaking of that, if people 
uh, are interested in learning more about uh, what the organization can offer and look into like getting some of these resources, where can they find you online? Yeah, thanks for asking. They can go to our website, which is ccdi.ca. And it's a bilingual website. Um, people can check out our various resources. Um, we have two to four webinars available every month on the variety of topics. We have uh, resource kits, uh, guides. We have community of practice events, a mix of virtual events and in-person events where people can come together and talk about specific topics. Um, and we have an annual conference, which is a virtual conference. Um, we just had ours actually earlier this month uh, to talk about a 10-year anniversary, where we've been, and the vision for inclusive workplaces in the next 10 years. So check out our website and try to find out more about it and how we might be able to support. Well, I, for one, I, I really want to thank you for not only coming on the show and, and, and chatting with us, um, but also just for all the amazing work that the organization does do. Um, you know, it, it, the fact that you guys are, you know, 10 years old and have made this much progress and that we're seeing the progress that we are, I think, are, are directly correlated to the hard work that uh, organizations like yours do. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rob. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much to all of you for your time um, with me today and for sharing in this very interesting and important uh, conversation that we have. Well, stay and, tuned because I'm working on another employee from CCDI to come and join us. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anne-Marie, thank, Al thank Alexander again for helping coordinate this. It's been a pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much to all of you, and I wish you a, a really great rest of the evening. Absolutely, and don't forget, you've uh, you've managed to get an invitation to the anniversary show too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, so, uh, oh, be warned. Join at your own risk. That's right. <laughs> Keep an eye on your email. Well, that's great. Yeah, if you want to send that over, I'll be happy to see if we can make it happen. <laughs> All right. Okay. Awesome, Anne Marie. Well, have a great uh, rest of your night. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thanks. Bye. -bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh, and now we all have to be on our best behavior at the anniversary show. No, we no. Don't. That's impossible. <laughs> There's drinking involved, usually. I know. I'm like, I'm like oh, oh, Emery, you're going to be scolding us. <laughs> Offensive language. <laughs> hey, shush, shush, you serial killer. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, no, that's uh, what a great organization. Um, I was talking to Ryan about this. You know, it's weird. We've been doing this for so long, and yet there's all these organizations that we still don't know about that we're still learning about yeah. um, that have been around for years. So, well, and again, I think it kind of brings to light, like she said, the events that were taking place. You know, George yeah. Floyd, yeah, the, yeah. the graves being found, yeah. um, you know, go on and on and on, COVID exposing all the gaps in the systems. Yeah. You know, all these things have kind of made people start having this conversation. Yeah, which is great. So unfortunately, it, you know, it's taken those events, but yeah. we're here, so. Yeah, exactly. So anybody who's interested, go check them out, ccdi.ca, the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. Mm. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else to say about any of that? Nope. You sure? Yep. Right. Oh, that was good. Great show. Very informative. Yeah, was, Very was, informative. I was impressed. Yeah, I love I love hearing the definitions of diversity and inclusion because sometimes you know you throw those words around and without really knowing what they actually what we're actually talking about when we use them. You know, we've said the same thing about accessibility, right? Like we throw around accessibility, but yeah. really, really, what does it mean? What's the actual definition? So I was really, yeah, I was really pleased to, to hear that she could break it down for us like that because I thought that was really helpful, even just for me. So, Ryan. So, yeah, Rob. Should we let Liz in on her surprise? Probably should soon or she's going to turn the hockey game on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Do you think I, I don't have this. a mute button on my TV? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Okay, it's already on. It's been on. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. 
Well, I'm going to let you spring spring it on her and, it, and the, actually end on the audience. Cause is it better not is... be Oreo cookies? That's all I got to say. No, it's not Oreo cookie related. Okay, Ryan, go ahead. Uh, how am I going to do this? Um, what has Ryan what? been working on for a while now, Liz? Like a uh... year. Well, maybe six months, seven months. And no, his girlish figure is not the uh, answer. I was going to say, there's, there's, I mean, look, the, the options are endless. <laughs> um, his sense of humor, his charm. What were your first thoughts when I emailed you asking what color your hair was and how tall you were? That you were getting creepy and stalkery. <laughs> <laughs> I've never emailed a woman asking her what color of her hair and how tall she is. Well, he's a, he's a white male, so maybe some serial killer vibes. I think I even was like, um, this is creepy, but okay, I'll play. Yeah, yeah, you did. You look just like my mother. I hated my mother. <laughs> well, I have completed your song. Glitter and Spangles is done. Oh my God, are you told are you it, messing with me? No, it is done. I told told you guys it takes time, and I need to get inspired in order to write songs. That's why I don't write one every month because it just has to come to me. It has to flow, and one day it just finally came, and it is now complete. Oh my God! So should I tell everybody where it is, Rob? Yeah, let's do it. All right, if they want to <laughs> go in here. Glitter and Spangles. It is at whitecanerecords.com. Okay, so I let you I let you plug whitecanerecords.com. And everybody should go check out whitecanerecords.com because you have some very cool music up there. Well, and but, Rob's up there too. We've had interviews. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. But even more so, I'm gonna do everybody a solid and I am going we're gonna we're gonna play it right here on the podcast, world premiere. Glitter and Spangles. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Go, go ahead. Am I, That's I'm it. Okay. That's it. That's where you got. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know how to introduce this song. But Ryan, oh, well, it, it took a year to, to write. But anything, any other additional information before we, we go ahead and play this thing? So a friend of the show, longtime client of ours, Kelly Saperja from Saskatchewan, um, did the music bed for it. So yeah. thank you to Kelly for that at KJS Productions, uh -huh. and yeah. That oh my God, it. you went you went like all out. This is for, this is like for real. Put, I did. It Holy. is. I hired a guy, paid a guy to Holy put the music crap. together. Yep. Yeah. So that was probably worth eighty bucks worth of shipping. I know. Higher. I was about to say. I was like, well, this. The, I, wow. This is my Oreos. This is. Uh, they they actually made yeah. an impression on you. That's right. They did. Yeah. <laughs> And, and speaking of which, of I just finished them all yesterday. Oh. Yeah, I'm still working on, I'm still working <laughs> through mine. I got a lot. <laughs> and I've done nothing for the song, so I'm just, I'm just reaping the benefits of Ryan's hard work on this song. It's all right. The Oreos. All right. Anyways, but before we do that, uh, let's get out of here first. Uh, so let's do the outro. Hey, Ryan. Oh. Yeah, Rob. Where can people find us? They can find me in the Guitar Dungeon or at <laughs> atbanter.com. Hey, they can also drop us a line if they so desire at cowbell at atbanter.com. Liz is just giddy. I'm very giddy. She's giddy. for the show. <laughs> You're making me wait. Okay, sorry. Well, okay. Well, then what, uh, where, who's, wait, who's going next? Well, the third mic is gone, so it's got to be fourth mic. Fourth mic. Where can people find <laughs> us otherwise? Well, and to, to quote the great Steve Barkley, you can find us on those useless social media outlets. Uh, I think we're on uh, Twitter and maybe that's Facebook and maybe some <laughs> Instagram nonsense and, you know. <laughs> banter banter <laughs> wow that's, that's awesome I, that's a I keeper thought, for every I, outro going forward yeah i thought he had stepped into the room for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> ah, wow that's awesome love that's you amazing. steve <laughs> <laughs>
And with that, that is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Ed Marie for joining us. Oh. Uh, all right. Well, without any further ado, let's get to it. Uh, I wish I, I wish I had the DJ voice. So I could be like, I don't know. Come on, Rob. Five thirty-nine in the evening. There you go. You Thirty-two gotta... degrees here in lovely Vancouver, BC. <laughs> Here we go, spinning the latest album from Mr. Ryan Flurry, <laughs> Glitter and Spangles. <laughs> Yo, drop that beat. her cane as she crosses the street bopping her head to this hip-hop beat when she greets the boys they stop and stare she says hey boys my eyes are up here they say don't we know you she says i don't know perhaps you've listened to one of my shows they say weren't you with that group the bangles she says no boys it's glitter and spangles glitter and spangles She has dark brown hair and stands 61 inches. She rocks the mic. She's a podcast queen. She even runs her own LLC. She's been with us for about a year. And every once in a while, whispers in my ear, saying, where's my song? I say, I'm working on it. It's hard coming up with lyrics like this. She says, OK, I'll give you more time. But if you ain't done soon, your ass is mine. I say, OK, and find the words to wrangle. It's hard to rhyme with glitter and spangles. Glitter and Spangles.